0: Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all
1: things violent. Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. At the end of the episode, we will have two more stories from Untold Mayhem. I think this is going to be the last week. Two stories this week are Dead Spot and Left Unfinished. The idea for Left Unfinished was sparked by the song from Machine Head with that title. has nothing to do with the song. Just the song title sparked the story idea. So I'll play that at the end of the episode. It's been a good week. There was some major disappointment over the weekend. Unfortunately, people in my extended family had COVID. My son was exposed. We were actually all exposed. But my son, we couldn't tell whether or not he had allergies really bad or if he was having symptoms. So on the day of his party, because of all the exposure, because he was sick and I didn't want him dripping snot on other people, we canceled his party. So we weren't able to have the 10th planet party for him. I was a bit of a bummer, but we are going to have it, I think, next week or in two weeks. So we are going to have a cool little party for him, but he handled it well. Yeah, definitely disappointed, but it also gave me more time just to work on a dark fairy tale. I spent most of the week working on that. been awesome. I was... About to finish it, I just had these notes left and this is, I'm talking about the main pass that I'm going to give back to Evan. There are some areas where I like for him to expand it, just like short little things. And then I want him to read through mine, put his take back on it and also discuss the death scene ideas that I'm suggesting. I was very excited about that. I thought I was going to get it done by Friday. And not only that, I was actually asking my readers what I should work on next. I was like, okay, between the dark fairy tale. And we're going to the death scenes. I just want to do my own thing. Maybe it's uh just one bullet or fucked up little family or the bridge, which was from tells of the blessed and broken or super high. Those are the ones that are like, okay, I could work on one of those right now. Which one should I do? So I was asking them, they were saying between the bridge and just one bullet, just one bullet is probably the smart choice because it's short. It's going to be the shortest of all of those that I could do it in episode but it's also probably the most emotionally taxing. So I was thinking about that, but then I realized like, fuck, I can't even get to that yet. I mean, that's the next problem to have It's like, okay, I'm always going to have something waiting for me because in addition to those four, there's another shit, I don't know, 15 or more, uh, probably about 15 or so trying to survive in other books. So I'm always going to have something waiting for me, but on Evans. I was doing great. I was figuring out like, okay, I'll be done with this in two days. But then I got back from my buddy, Pat Boyd's, I got back the Try Not to Die at Death Fest edits. Pat did an amazing job, made it so much better. Incredible job. It was awesome. Improved it so much. Thank you for all of that, Pat. I really appreciate it. He also gave me notes on how to, like a couple different things that could have been layered in that he was hoping for. My initial instinct was like, do any more work on it? I want this thing to be as good as possible. I'm putting a lot of time and effort into it as is planned. So I, yesterday I spent the entire day formatting it, getting it ready for the ebook and for the paperback Because the ebook advanced copy is going to be out on June 1st. That's what I'm telling the PR company in Germany. And then three to four weeks later is when the paperback advanced copy is coming out. And we are going to be distributing those to heavy metal bands, DJs. Newspapers, magazines, all that kind of stuff, anything metal related. We want to get you guys a copy of it. So I'm trying to hurry that up. So today I, uh, I printed it up this morning. I have it right here. This is what I need to go through. It's 180 pages. It will take a little while for me to get through it, but that will be done. I'm going to just, that's all I'm going to work on for the next couple of days. So I should have that done before the weekend's over. Then I will jump back. Onto the dark fairy tale, and that'll take me a couple of days. And then I will be working on Ghostland because I think Duncan's going to have me his notes back by then. And so, yeah, a lot of things trying to be done at the same time, but I like it, keeps me busy, definitely. And the end product is going to be awesome. So, I'm very excited about having these books out Duncan's book, Trying to Die at Ghostland. We are going to get out around the first week of July, I believe. So that's the goal first to second week. I believe don't get going to a convention in Texas, middle of the month of July. And we're definitely going to have the book up before that. So excited about that as well. Hopefully we'll have the cover in a couple of days expecting that any day. And uh, so a lot of cool stuff going on on the physical side of things. I went to jujitsu Monday, Wednesday morning, 6. AM felt awesome. I was like, I'm getting up at four something anyhow. Actually, on Monday morning, I wasn't going to go. I think I had just been working down here. I wasn't sure how I was feeling. I was kind of lazy. Do I want to do it? Do I not want to do it? And my coach said he was running late and asked if I was going to go so I could open up. So that got me there. And I'm so glad that I went. I felt so good after doing it. Had a good workout, learned some cool stuff. There's another black belt that's there, Jordan. He was my partner for the day. That's amazing. Being able to have a black belt as your partner. So he was showing me all kinds of cool little things, in addition to the, what we were learning from coach Mike, you know, Jordan was showing me these other things that I'm already implementing in my game. Just making me feel that much better, that much stronger. Wednesday was another good practice. I almost went back last night. I wanted to do the competition class, but that's at seven o'clock at night. By then I'm pretty exhausted from waking up at four. So I had thought about it. I was going to do it. I was in the pool with my son. And he was making fun of me. Cause I, he's like, oh, you're old. You have to use the steps now. I was like, dude, I got a knee injury. That's why I was like, also, yeah, I am getting up there in age. And so I stepped out of the pool without a stair to show off that I could. And my knee was kind of aching. I was like, you no, know I probably shouldn't be doing a competition class right now since I can barely walk and maybe I should just stick with what I'm doing. So. That is, I'm going to try to be smart, keep being smart about it, not letting my ego get in the way. You know, I could just go and slowly learn and it's slowly coming back and I'm feeling better and my knees getting stronger. My shoulders not as hurt. So I think that is what I shall do. I'm going to rush out of here, guys. I got, I got a lot of shit to do. I got, I got these pages. I got these pages and go spend about an hour in the sauna. That's where I put myself to work on this stuff because there are no distractions nice and relaxing and i get to sweat out all these toxins and other nastiness so yeah i'm keeping this shit short because i've got work to do and there are no sales no specials i did not plan ahead i didn't put anything we are scheduling for the next three months but we just haven't done that alvin's going to send me a list of all the books when they're going to be on sale and then we will set that up so hopefully that will be in play next week and that'll have something something on sale. But if not, I keep my stuff all relatively cheap. I believe my, most of my ebooks are anywhere from $0.99 cents to $3.99. Nonfiction is like $6.99. So you can always get a deal. Until Mayhem, I'm not sure what that audiobook costs. It's on different sites. I think Audible is definitely the most expensive, but you can get it on Spotify, Apple, other places. It's probably about $8.99 or 9 dollars Check it out if you're enjoying it, but, or just listen to the past episodes. Every week we are playing them on here. So let's go out on Dead Spot and Left Unfinished. Hopefully you guys dig the short stories and have an incredible week. I will talk to you later. Peace.
2: Dead Spot. Greg woke to a world of darkness and pain. He tried to open his eyes, but they were sealed shut with wet gunk. A sharp pain ripped through his shoulder when he tried to wipe them clear. His right arm was pinned beneath him, bent at an unnatural angle, but his left hand was free, able to clear the goo. Even with the blurry double vision, Greg could tell it was blood. It was everywhere. Afraid to move, Greg lay perfectly still. A steep incline of blood-splattered rocks rose less than a foot in front of him, a pile of broken branches inches from his face. A crippled sage-bush lay on its side a few feet up from that. Something had run it over. Greg guessed it had been him. The pain made it difficult to think. Something was wrong with his right leg. No feeling below the knee. His hip felt as if it were made of broken glass, and he was pretty sure something had punctured his stomach. A gentle feel found a branch over an inch in diameter sticking out of his side. Everything else seemed okay, except for his face. It was resting on a rock, tender and swollen, a clear sign his jaw had been broken. Whether it was the shock, the blow to the head, or the intense pain, Greg could not remember what had happened. He searched for a sign, something to trigger his memory. Rock, dirt, branches, blood. He was a teacher. Math. Young kids. Not quite sure of their grade. Fourth, maybe. Definitely nothing to do with this place. The sun hung directly overhead. It was work hours, but he wasn't at school, so that meant it was the weekend and he was at the bottom of a hill. There weren't any hills by his house. The closest place above sea level was Fallen Rock, an hour's drive from the city, far enough away that visitors were few and far between. The distant sound of crying from above brought everything back. It was Heather, Greg's girlfriend of five years. They'd gone hiking. She'd been walking right behind him. Oh, God, he hoped she hadn't fallen with him, that the entire path hadn't collapsed beneath their weight. Greg lifted his head off the rock, then set it back down, nauseous from the movement. He tried to scream, but his lips wouldn't open more than an inch. His jaw had been shattered, not merely broken, and yelling was out of the question. A soft sob drifted down the hill. Oh, God, Heather moaned. Why? Greg reached for his cell phone, but his left pocket was empty, and the right one was pressed against the ground. Greg lifted his hips off the ground. Crushed bones tore into his muscles and ligaments when he reached into his pocket and pulled out the phone. The phone's display was cracked, but the power was still on. A dispatcher wouldn't be able to comprehend his mumblings, so Greg punched in 911 and began a text, struggling to type with his blood-slick hand. Four words in. Heather screamed, "'Die! Die!' Greg tilted his head and followed the incline, the bloodied path he'd fallen. Heather stood at the top some thirty yards away, hysterical, her hair wild as if she'd been pulling it out. He raised the phone so she could see he was okay, that he'd get help for them. "'No!' she stomped her feet on the path. "'Die!' Greg's vision had cleared enough for him to understand he hadn't misheard her. He could see she was furious, not fearful. Heather withdrew from the edge of the cliff, leaving him alone with his confused thoughts. Was it possible that he was so bad off that she was begging God for mercy, wanting Greg to die so his suffering would end? Not ready to give up, no matter how badly he was injured, Greg turned back to his text. Typing with only his left hand was taking too long. He'd only gotten out, need help, F.A., when he heard Heather return. She was back at the top of the cliff, holding the bottom of her shirt out in front of her, something heavy pulling the fabric down. Greg wanted to tell her that he would be okay, for her not to worry, that he was sending for help. He'd make a full recovery and find a way to provide for her. He wanted to tell her how much he loved her, how she was the perfect woman for him, and he couldn't imagine living without her. Then she pulled something from her makeshift basket, cocked her arm back, and threw it at him. It crashed into the hillside right above his head. She had thrown a fist-sized rock at him, and she already had another one in her hand. Heather let out a maniacal scream and threw the rock. It smashed into Greg's right shoulder, feeling like a baseball bat swung full speed. "'Asshole! You think I didn't know what you were doing?' Greg was terrified, no idea what she was yelling about. He loved Heather more than anything. He'd never done anything to hurt her. The next rock whizzed by Greg's ear. The second grazed his thigh. She was throwing big rocks, and if one hit his head, he'd never survive. "'You think I'm stupid?' She threw a rock that ricocheted off the ground and struck Greg's swollen cheek, washing him in a crimson flood of pain. I hate you! Die! It finally dawned on Greg that he hadn't tripped. The ground hadn't given beneath his weight. The crazy bitch at the top of the hill, the woman he had loved for the last five years, had pushed him. The next rock struck Greg in the chest. Knowing he was dead if he didn't send the text, he resumed typing, holding the phone between his face and Heather, hoping it would deflect a headshot. Heather ran away from the edge. Greg pressed the buttons as quickly as possible, not bothering to delete any errors. He'd almost finished when Heather returned with a loud grunt. She was hunched over, her shoulders rising with each heavy breath, a large boulder between her legs. Greg shook his head, no longer feeling the pain. She shook her head back at him. "'Did you really think I wouldn't recognize my own sister's number? I saw the bill. I saw how many times you called her, how many times she called you.' She gave a disgusted laugh. "'How long have you been screwing her?' Greg screamed an unintelligible no. He'd been talking to Beverly, Heather's younger sister, for the past few weeks, keeping it secret.' She'd helped him pick out the ring and organize the surprise engagement party that they'd been headed to, where all their friends and family waited. Heather placed her hands under the boulder. I've been cheated on before, too many times. She tipped the boulder over the edge. But never with my sister. The boulder picked up speed, bouncing right toward Greg, Before he could hit the send button, the boulder blasted into his forearm, snapping it in half and sending the phone flying. Heather left Greg alone. He managed to move his numb hand toward the phone and hit the send button. The message came back that the text was not sent. There was no service. Heather grunted from above. Maybe she'd stop if she saw the ring. Knew he was serious. Let him explain but the ring had been in his left pocket, which was now empty. The box had to have fallen out when he tumbled down the hill. He spotted the tiny white jewelry box caught in the branches of the downed sage bush, too far to reach. Heather appeared out of breath, a giant boulder the size of her torso balanced on the cliff's edge. Greg grit his teeth, swallowed the pain, and tried to point his shattered arm toward the ring. She didn't even look her eyes fixed on his. I hope she was worth it, she said between breaths. This was. All Greg could do was watch as Heather put her foot on the boulder and pushed it off the edge. It rolled, 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 gaining momentum, bringing down the hillside with each big bounce, each thud vibrating through Greg's body. He tried to roll away, but there was no escape. Left Unfinished
0: A soft scraping sound pulled Robert from his nightmare a little after 3 a.m. If he was lucky, he would catch a few more hours of sleep before the long day ahead. The novel had to be in Marty's hands by 8 that night, and Robert wanted to proofread it one last time. Robert closed his eyes and pulled the comforter to his chin. The metallic scraping returned, Louder and longer this time. It sounded as if it were coming from inside the house. From inside his room? The silhouette of a man appeared at the foot of his bed. A very large man. And the man was drawing something across the metal crossbar, just inches from his feet. This was still a nightmare. Everything seemed so real, but Robert must have fallen back to sleep without realizing it. Either that, or he never woke the first time. It was just a realistic dream. Robert's eyes adjusted to the darkness, and he realized it was the same guy from his nightmare. And he was dragging a straight-edge razor against the bed frame. No one used those kinds of razors anymore. Further evidence that this had to be a dream. The scraping stopped and the man grasped the bottom of the comforter and tossed it onto the floor. The breeze from the open window blew across Robert's feet. If this were one of his novels, the hero would whip out a gun. But Robert was too petrified to even move. The man grabbed Robert's foot and held it against his side, brought the razor beside it. Robert clapped his hands and the bedroom lights flashed on. This couldn't be. The man didn't have a face... At least, not a real one. Besides the black goatee and flattened nose, the rest of the bald man's features were not fully formed. The man's ears were large lumps with no real shape. His eyes were round and black, but dull and void of life. Instead of lips between the mustache and chin, there was only skin. Wake, damn it! Robert screamed. Wake! The man squeezed his ankle harder, set the razor against the top of Robert's foot. Robert tried to yank his foot back, but the mouthless man had it in a vice grip. The razor bit into the top of his foot, slicing through the skin and veins, riding across the bone. The pain was so clear and brilliant, Robert rifled his free foot on the man's hand, knocking it away, but not freeing the razor. The bald giant held up a fist, a mass of flesh fused around the razor's handle. No thumb, no fingers, no knuckles— It was the right size and color of a fist, but it lacked all detail, unlike the shiny razor, which was identical to the weapon wielded by the villain from Robert's novel. Robert continued to fight, but even with the blood lubricating his ankle, he couldn't pull free. Red hot pain ripped through his foot as the bastard tore open another gash. The creature's face couldn't show emotion, but Robert knew the son of a bitch loved every second. The man finally let Robert's leg fall. Robert had never experienced such pain. Part of him wanted to die, to surrender. But then he noticed the attacker's left hand. It had only one finger, the ring finger. And it had an intricately designed titanium wedding ring wrapped around it. He had a very bad feeling he knew what was inscribed inside it. Looking the killer in his blank eyes, Robert said, Larry, with this ring, I give you my soul. Forever yours, Veronica. The man nodded, and if he'd had lips, Robert was sure they would have spread in a grin. Jesus Christ, it couldn't be Larry. Larry didn't exist, but neither did people who were missing mouths. The man pulled the black turtleneck over his shaved head. The Southside Slasher, always killed with his shirt off. He loved the feel of warm blood spraying onto his skin. And there they were, his tattoos. The snake wrapped around his left arm and the demonic skull on his right. Robert had drawn those tattoos himself, and here they were, in the flesh. The sleeve of the turtleneck got caught on the fist with the razor in it. Robert slid off the bed, nearly passing out from the pain when his injured foot hit the floor. Hopping on his good foot, Robert reached the bathroom as a muffled scream came from behind. He glanced over his shoulder and saw Larry tear the turtleneck in half as he howled, the skin covering his mouth muting the sound. Robert slammed the door closed behind him and threw the lock a second before Larry crashed into it. Robert slid down against the door and grabbed the towels lying on the floor, He had already lost a lot of blood and couldn't last much longer if he kept gushing. With the handle rattling back and forth above his head, Robert made a quick tourniquet with one towel and wrapped two others around his wounds. He needed to get to a hospital. The handle stopped turning, and heavy footsteps left the room. There was only one door in the bathroom, and Robert couldn't fit through the sliver of a window, even if he had been a hundred pounds lighter. He was stuck in here and his cell phone was beside the bed. The closest neighbor was over a block away. He was screwed. With his ear to the door, Robert could hear noise coming from one of the rooms. He had hoped against hope that Larry was leaving, but he knew better than that. He knew Larry better than anyone did. This guy was the definition of evil. When Robert had created the serial killer, He had worried the character wouldn't be believable. Sure, there were psychos and sociopaths that did some really outrageous shit, but Larry lived to take lives. He loved inflicting pain. Robert had been afraid he had made the guy too sadistic, too over the top, but his agent convinced him it would sell. Larry would make a figurative killing. There was a loud grunt and the thump of footsteps heading toward the bedroom. He must have found something to open the door. What could Robert do? He had no weapons in here. He couldn't get away. He was helpless. Why was Larry after him in the first place? Robert had created the maniac. He had given him life. Larry survived at the end of the novel. There was the possibility of a sequel. Why would he come after his creator? And why was he deformed? The footsteps stopped outside the door. Robert held his breath and waited. A thundering kick slammed into the door, knocking Robert toward the toilet. The door bounced off the bathroom wall and back into the frame. The door thrust open. Larry stepped into the bathroom and set Robert's laptop at his feet. On his way out of the bathroom, Larry ripped the bathroom door off its hinges and threw it onto the bed. He grabbed the chair at the desk and plopped down on it outside the bathroom. The only reason Larry wouldn't kill someone would be because he wanted something. He wanted something from Robert, and it had something to do with the book. Robert turned on the computer and opened the document, trying to block out the mind-numbing pain and concentrate on the story. What was there not to be happy with? Larry didn't die. He satisfied every vile urge he felt, four times alone in one chapter. The ladies found him attractive and charming. Attractive. This guy wasn't attractive. Robert looked up and studied Larry. He could be attractive if he weren't missing parts. If he weren't deformed. That was it. It wasn't that Larry was deformed. He wasn't described. Robert had thought he had described him to a T, but looking back, he realized he may have rushed over some difficult spots and and cut a few corners. Description had never been a strong point. Unless, of course, he was describing a maggot-infested wound or the slow-motion bludgeoning of an old woman. Flowery descriptions were for the literary novelists. They could spend pages describing someone's eyes. He would mention the blonde's eyes were blue and rush to the good part where she was being ravaged by the madman. You want to be whole? Larry grunted with a nod. Robert searched for the first mention of the maniac. I guess step one should be give you a mouth. There was a weak paragraph where Robert added a short sentence describing Larry's razor-thin lips that complimented his sharp tongue. God damn it, Bobby. It's about fucking time, he said in a girlish whisper. Robert stared at the hulking beast. Fix it, Larry shrieked. Robert rushed to Larry's first kill and began typing. He'd always pictured the man with a rough, gravelly voice. Mm, "'Let's see,' Larry growled. "'Much better. Much better, Bobby Boy.' "'It's Robert,' Larry pointed the bloody razor at him. "'It's whatever the fuck I decided is, Bobby Boy.' "'Sorry.' "'Should be. You know this is the first goddamn time I've talked.' "'No way,' he said, still in disbelief. "'He could be having this conversation.' You're the main character. And I talk to myself the whole time. Find me a place where I'm in quotes. Larry teased his nipple with the tip of the razor. What's that, smart guy? Can't find one? Didn't think so. Now how about some goddamn fingers? Robert found the perfect spot to add the details. When he looked up from the computer, Larry flexed his fingers around the razor, the muscles rippling through his forearm. And my name. What the fuck is up with that? Lawrence. Larry. That's some gay shit. I need something tougher than that. Robert sighed. I gave you a good name. You're a regular guy. Your co-workers, your wife, your friends. They don't know you're a sadistic prick. You need a regular guy's name. Larry tossed the razor into the air and caught it in his other hand. I've never taken a life with my left. Don't make yours be the first. What name do you want? You're the writer. Robert didn't need to look up to know Larry was smirking. The asshole loved this. He didn't care that Robert hurt so much he could barely think. How about Jack or Derek? How about no. Damien, that's cool. Something like that. Robert shrugged and did a quick find and replace. Real original, he mumbled, as he changed the name more than 300 times with the push of one button. Now hurry up and fix the rest of me. Some decent ears will be nice. Robert always hated critics. And Larry, Damien, was getting on his last nerve. He tried not to smile as he described the necrotic ears barely attached to the man's skull. Hey, dickhead! Robert ignored him and continued to type giving Damien slanted eyes. There's a fucking mirror right behind you. Fix this shit, or I'm gonna fuck you up real bad. What I did to Mary will seem like a Sunday school lesson compared to what I do to you, and you know I can make you last as long as I want. A shiver ripped through Robert's body. He had created a master of disaster, a doctor of pain. Damien thrived on torture, keeping his victims alive and conscious for every single ounce of fun. Robert deleted his last sentence and watched Damien's eyes and ears return to their former state. He thought back to Mary's scene where Damien's actions had made her think he would let her live if she satisfied him. That possibility never entered Damien's mind. He never let anyone live. He gave them false hope to make their anguish just that much more beautiful. He wasn't going to let Robert live. As soon as he was finished, so was Robert. Good job, Bobby boy. Now I'll be a real lady killer. Robert set the laptop on the counter and pushed himself onto the toilet. Got a shit? I think you can hold it. Mm, I'm trying to get comfortable. Robert put the computer back onto his lap. He had a plan, and he hoped to hell it would work. If it did... He'd escape with his life and his story. Just hurry up. I got places to go and people to kill. I'm sure you do, Robert said, as he positioned the cursor. He erased the hand description and heard the razor clatter to the floor. What the hell? Damien growled, unable to pick up the weapon with either hand. As calm as possible, Robert said, Wait a second, I'm trying to fix you up. I've got to turn this in tomorrow, and we need you in tip-top shape. Hurry up, he said with a hint of nervousness in his voice. Not a problem. Robert added a word to Damien's description. Damien yelled, Put the lights back on! What the fuck? What the fuck do you do? Robert exploded off the toilet and squeezed out the doorway, putting as little weight as possible on his ruined foot. He felt Damien reach for him, but the maniac's one finger wasn't strong enough to grab hold. You asshole! I'm blind! he screamed as he shot out of the chair and lumbered after Robert. Robert was opening the bedroom door when Damien got hold of him and slammed him into the wall. Robert fell to the floor and wrapped his arms around Damien's legs, trying to knock the man down. Damien, who hadn't lost his skills as a collegiate wrestler, sprawled and crushed Robert beneath him. Keeping his weight pressed firmly against Robert's back, Damien said, Fix it. Fix it now or I swear to God, I'll club you to death. Don't think I can't. I could choke you out right now if I wanted to, he said, as he slipped an arm around Robert's neck. Give me back my fucking eyes. The laptop's under me. Damien used his free hand to feel for the computer. He slid to Robert's side, keeping his arm around the man's throat. Do it Robert had one shot left, but it meant destroying an entire year's work. He'd be throwing away more than just a huge paycheck and a lifetime worth of royalties. He'd be destroying his baby, a piece of himself. Oh, but it had to be. It was the only way. Damien tightened his grip. What the hell's taking so long? I'm finding my spot. White spots danced in front of Robert's eyes. He right-clicked the file and hit delete. By the way, Damien, what were you going to carve on my stomach? He gasped, while the computer asked if he was really sure he wanted to delete the file. Fix me, and maybe I won't. Robert knew that the man would. The madman carved epithets on every victim. He thought human flesh made a wonderful canvas no better medium than a body. But it wouldn't be Robert's body, not today. Robert hit OK, and Larry's arm pulled away from his neck. Robert took a breath and sat up. Larry was standing, looking down at him. His mouth was missing, and the razor had magically found its way into the lump of his right hand. The file was still sitting in the recycle bin, Robert lifted the laptop into the air and brought it crashing down onto the floor. The computer was in pieces. The file was gone. Larry destroyed. But he wasn't. Larry didn't have a mouth and his eyes didn't show any emotion. But Robert knew the bastard was smiling. In the lump of his right hand was the razor. In his other hand, Pinched between his one finger and palm was Robert's yellow backup flash drive.